Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. I can't pinpoint the year, but it happened at some point in the 1980s. It was like somebody flipped a switch, and everyone in my neighborhood had a VCR all at once. Now I know there were a couple of outliers, people who had them beforehand, and then a couple of outliers like my family who had them a little bit later. But just at one point, I want to say sometime around 83, 84, everyone just seemed to get a VCR one Christmas. And from that point on, VCRs just became part of the landscape. It was something we talked about beforehand as this new item, and then after the switch, it was just something we talked about as if it had always existed. With this new everydayness, things changed in that it introduced amongst my friends a new type of currency, which was the recorded TV show. If you missed a TV show before On Demand or the ability to record, you missed it. You were out of luck, because while you could go to the video store and rent a movie, you normally couldn't go to the video store and find any TV shows. And so my friends and I, and I'm sure friends all across the country, started to engage in trading. Someone would record something and then they would bring it up and they would lend it to a friend in the hopes that something would get lent back. Now I had a friend who recorded the movie Mad Monster Party. Some of us had seen it before on television, but it wasn't a common special as far as these holiday specials go. But it was one that was discussed constantly amongst my friends who happened to be big fans of the Universal Monsters. So, the one friend who had recorded this, and hence the only one who had a copy of it, guarded this tape like it was made of gold. And eventually it was lent to a fellow friend they had traded. So, what happened was, another friend of mine had a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark, like a real copy from the store. His father had bought it. It was a big deal. My one friend wanted to see Mad Monster Party, so they traded. Now, what happened afterwards was kind of tragic, because I was there at the house when we were watching Mad Monster Party that he had borrowed, and this was like the 18th time he had watched it since borrowing it, because that's kind of what you did. You just kept these things on a loop. I was over there, and something went wrong. You could see something happening on the screen. There was this brief sound, and then the screen went blank. You could hear something happening inside the VCR. The tape had broken. What unfolded after that was a cold war that lasted about a year, where the one friend refused to give back Raiders of the Lost Ark until a copy of Mad Monster Party was given back to him. Parents got involved. It got crazy. Eventually, a new blank tape was given, but that friendship was strained so much that it never recovered. Sometimes new technology brings amazing things with it. The promise of new interactions, new ways of viewing the world, but it also can introduce things that people are not capable of processing yet. What is the value of a recorded tape? It certainly shouldn't have been worth a friendship, but in this case it was. On today's show I'd like to talk to you about Mad Monster Party. We'll talk about the talented people behind the camera, the people who lent their voices to this film, 
its reception, its production, its release, the music, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Mad Monster Party is a stop-motion animated musical comedy released in 1967 by Rankin Bass Productions for Embassy Pictures. While most people will remember it as a television special that gets viewed a lot during the Halloween season, it was actually a motion picture release released in theaters. Not a common thing for the Rankin Bass Company, and certainly not common for their stop-motion works. Now let's take a look at the people who created this starting with the ones who wrote it. The screenplay was written by Len Karabkin, and then Harvey Kurtzman was brought in to punch it up, add more humor. And he certainly had the chops to do that. We'll talk a little bit about him in a second. just want to mention Len Karabkin. He was the writer on a lot of the early Rankin-Bass productions, including their Tales of the Wizard of Oz and the New Adventures of Pinocchio. He's probably best known for his work on Mad Monster Party. His other career was as an entertainment lawyer, and while he passed away a couple of years ago, he had a long and successful career representing artists in the film and music industry in Los Angeles. So, quite an interesting career. The other person who was brought in to work on the screenplay was Harvey Kurtzman. Kurtzman was born in 1924, passed away in 93. He's best known for his work on Mad Magazine, which he co-created, before leaving in 1956, just a year after it had switched to a magazine format. He would then go on to do lots of cartooning work, and his work, I'm sure, would help bring another person who worked for Mad Magazine into this, Jack Davis, who was also involved in the production. Because this was a monster film, a horror film, it was rumored that Forrest J. Ackerman, who was the editor and principal writer of the magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland, and very knowledgeable about movie monsters, was brought aboard to add more to the script. I could find no confirmation of this. It's a long-standing rumor, probably because of the style of writing in Ackerman's work and in the film. Len Karabkin actually said that there was no Forrest Ackerman involvement in it. So I'm going to guess despite he being brought up all the time in association with this film, he actually did not participate but his style was influential in the final product. This was a Rankin-Bass production, and so the director was Jules Bass, the Bass part of the famous Rankin-Bass. Bass was born in Philadelphia. He would found a film production company, Videocraft International, which was a partnership between him and Arthur Rankin. This would eventually become Rankin-Bass Productions, maker of many famous holiday specials, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Year Without a Santa Claus, 
Anything that has that wonderful stop motion probably was Rankin Bass. But if you grew up in a post-holiday special environment, you might know him for his late 80s work as the director of the Thundercats from 1985 to 1989. Rankin Bass used a technique called stop motion. That's where you have little puppets or dolls, which you shoot on film, and you shoot a frame of film, move the little doll, and then take another shot, and then another shot, and move it, and move it, and eventually, when you string those together, you have a film. This is a very old technology, almost as old as film. Probably most famous creation is King Kong, who have a little tie-in with this film. They referred to their stop-motion production as Animagic, and there are some uniqueness to Rankin-Bass Animagic. They would often use visual effects and cell animation to add visual flair to their productions. Rankin-Bass would outsource their animation. For this particular work, they used the one they had been using for a long time, MOM Productions. MOM Productions was founded by the pioneering stop-motion animator Tadahito Mochinaga, who often went by the name Tad in Rankin-Bass Productions. To audiences in the United States, his work on Rankin-Bass is probably what he's most famous for. He actually has an interesting background. He started his animation career in World War II Japan and was pulled in to work on propaganda films, which he wasn't very happy about, especially when he found out that these films that were being screened for children led them directly into the war effort. In his memoirs, he's quoted as saying, I heard that many youths volunteered for the Flying Corps, and that while they were on duty, they died on air raids. I wonder whether the film we made influenced their decision to volunteer. I thought, in the future, I only wished to make a film that would benefit the young, difficult though that might be. Unfortunately, because of the war, that was difficult. But he did make it through the war, and would animate a great number of productions for the Japanese market, as well as the Chinese market, before starting to work on Rankin-Bass works in 1960. And he would work on one of their most famous works, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, in 1964. But he also worked on The New Adventures of Pinocchio, Willie McBean and His Magic Machine, the Daydreamer, The Ballad of Smokey the Bear, and his final collaboration with them would be Mad Monster Party in 1967. So everything after 1967 is other companies. Earlier I mentioned a Mad Magazine connection with Jack Davis. Jack Davis was another co-founder of Mad Magazine and a very talented artist. He would do the character designs for Mad Monster Party, and his unique style is all over this film. So I think you could say that this is a sort of collaboration, unofficially, between Mad Magazine and Rankin-Bass, and the only film to do so. And while it's not as zany as you might have gotten with a full Mad Magazine animated special of some sort, it does have a lot more straight-up humor than other Rankin-Bass productions, by a long shot. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot of the film. So Dr. Frankenstein decides that he is going to call it quits and stop making monsters. We also find out that the doctor has figured out how to make something that destroys everything. The secret of total destruction. So he decides he is going to name his successor and brings in monsters from all across the world, including the werewolf, the creature from the Black Lagoon, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dracula, all the big monsters, except for one who they refer to as It. At this point, we're introduced to the professor's assistant, Francesca, who hopes to be his successor. As it turns out, the doctor is hoping that 
His nephew, Felix Flanken, will become his successor. But Flanken doesn't have what it takes to be the mad scientist. And the story basically is Francesca wanting to be the person who takes over, but is slowly falling in love with Felix. Meanwhile, all the monsters, being monsters, realize that, well, this Felix Flanken isn't going to be able to run things. We got to get that potion. Rebellion happens. It gets invited by Francesca to this event, shows up, and it's basically King Kong. All sorts of craziness happens. Eventually, Frankenstein, realizing that things are going to go wrong unless he takes out all these other monsters, uses his formula, and things all blow up, and Francesca and Felix escape. And as the film ends, we discover that both of them are, in fact, creations of Frankenstein, both robots. And there's a nice little ode to the film, Some Like It Hot, at the end. That's a lovely way to finish the film and a reference that most people would have gotten back then, but that nobody would get now unless they're a big Some Like It Hot fan. And if you have not seen Some Like It Hot, you really should, because it's a classic for a reason. Now that I've gotten my rambling description of the film over with, let me play you the trailer. Maybe that'll help to clarify things a bit more. Plus, it's just great. Mad Monster Party! Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff. And, in order of their appearance... Dracula. Frankenstein. The werewolf. The hunchback. The mummy. Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Hyde. And, in order of his disappearance... The Invisible Man. Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the least. Uh, 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 uh. Mad Monster Party! <laughs> it's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get committed. It's a psychedelic scary. With the grooviest ghouls of all time. Mad Monster Party! <laughs> Anyone? It's a blast. Love the narration, love that music, it's just great. Now I name some of the characters, calling them by the names that we are more familiar with. They didn't call the creature from the Black Lagoon the creature from the Black Lagoon, even though it was the creature from the Black Lagoon. They called it the creature. They didn't call King Kong King Kong, they called it it. And that is largely because those names were not in the public domain. And they didn't want to pay royalty rights to use the name King Kong or Frankenstein's monster or even Quasimodo. So they came up with different names for everything. For example, Quasimodo is called the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So it all works out. You know who everybody is. There's this strange thing if you're watching this now and you're not familiar with the stand-up of Phyllis Diller. Phyllis Diller was for a very long time a very cutting-edge comedian who made frequent appearances on television. In her stand-up, she would refer to her husband as Fang. And in the Mad Monster Party, she's playing the Bride of Frankenstein, and she refers to Frankenstein as Fang. Rankin-Bass thought that was delightful and decided to run with it. So when you hear Frankenstein's monster being called Fang, 
That is because it's something that Phyllis Diller would add to the mix, and it's helpful if you knew her background to really understand why that's funny. Nothing funnier than when a joke needs to be explained to people, and I've already had to explain two in this film, so hopefully you get them, and I didn't need to explain them. Also, I want to point out, there's this wonderful last page of Frankenstein that floats around the internet. Somebody took a photo of it after having written on it. It's basically Frankenstein's monster at the end of the book telling everyone before the book ends it's cool if you call him Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. He doesn't mind. Every time I see that on any social media or any place I see it, I can't help but smile at the idea because I know there's a lot of people who get really offended when you call Frankenstein's monster just Frankenstein. They'll say, Frankenstein's the doctor. I think it's very funny, but I think that the monster would be cool with you calling him Frankenstein. Seems like a pretty cool guy. So since this is animation, you have quite a talented cast of people. Top amongst them is Boris Karloff as Baron Boris von Frankenstein. Boris Karloff starred as Frankenstein's monster in the 1931 film Frankenstein. And from that point on, he was a horror icon, appearing in multiple sequels, as well as playing Imhotep in the 1932 The Mummy. You might recognize his narration from the... 1966 television special Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which he won a Grammy Award for. Karloff is excellent in this role, has a great voice. Sadly, it would be one of his last roles. The other big star in this was Phyllis Diller. She played the monster's mate, or the bride of Frankenstein. Diller was a comedian, actress, musician, author, who focused a lot on self-deprecating humor, had a wild way of dressing, very exaggerated, very influential on comedians who would follow. As I mentioned, she made a lot of appearances as a comedian, but also as an actor. She would appear in more than 40 films starting in 1961 and would make even more numerous appearances on television shows, including Night Gallery, The Love Boat, and of course, The Muppet Show. Alan Swift played Felix Flanken. Alan Swift was born Iris Stadlin, and while he was Felix Flanken in this, he also provided most of the other voices for the characters in the film. He was the original voice of the Frito Bandito in the original Frito's Corn Chips commercials, worked for Hostess doing the voices of Captain Cupcake in their commercials, and also did the voice of Simon Bar Sinister and Riff Raff on the Underdog series. Gail Garnett voiced Francesca. Gail Zoe Garnett is a Canadian singer who wrote and performed the Grammy-winning folk song We'll Sing in the Sunshine. It's appropriate that she would get cast in this role because there is quite a lot of singing in this film, including two performances by Garnett, where she sang two songs that we'll talk about later, Our Time to Shine and Never Was a Love Like Mine. While she started as a folk singer, she would eventually get more into psychedelic music as the 60s progressed. Her ability to sing is probably why she got cast, but in addition to a great singing voice, she has a great speaking voice, so it adds a lot of character to Francesca. She's not the only person who sings on this production. The opening credits were sung by Ethel Ennis, and it's a fun piece, very reminiscent of the Shirley Bassey work on the film Goldfinger. So just let me play you a couple of seconds of it. Brings out the monster in you. 
that's good stuff. If you ever watch the film, it says that a soundtrack would be available for this from RCA Victor, but they never released a soundtrack for Mad Monster Party at the time. In 1998, a CD was released with six tracks, and then in 2016, Waxworks Records released it on vinyl. And the songs from the film are the title sequence, Mad Monster Party, performed by Ethel Ennis, You're Different by Phyllis Diller, Our Time to Shine and Never Was a Love Like Mine by Gail Garnett, The Mummy by Dyke and the Blazers, and One Step Ahead, sort of sung, but more talked by Boris Karloff. Never Was a Love Like Mine is really an interesting piece and sort of sophisticated for a Rankin-Bass film. If you haven't heard any of these, they are all on YouTube and in other sources so you can listen to them. I would suggest trying the title by Ethel Ennis and then Never Was a Love Like Mine by Gail Garnett. And finally, you should really listen to Phyllis Diller do You're Different. It really does capture the magic of Phyllis Diller. Ethel Ennis, who passed away in 2019, was a jazz singer who started her recording career in 1955, and she would release albums way up into the 2000s and was a very respected singer. You should hear her rendition of the National Anthem, do a search on that. Her first sort of big performance of it was at the re-inauguration event of Richard Nixon, and when she did sing this a cappella-style rendition of the anthem, people found it shocking, but since then has gone down to be well-received and historically significant. The music for Rankin Bass was done by Jules Bass. Jules Bass is a multi-talented person. In addition to directing, he often collaborated with Maury Laws and was the lyricist for several songs on Mad Monster Party. The other half of this combo, and probably the senior half when it came to music, was Maury Laws, who passed away in 2019. He was hired in 1964 as the music director for Rankin Bass when it was still Videocraft International, and he would work there in that capacity for 20 years, working on Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty the Snowman, Jack Frost, The Hobbit. His probably best-known work was his adaptation of the Johnny Marks classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for the special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1964. We'll return after these messages. to our show. Now what makes this Rankin-Bass special special from other Rankin-Bass specials is that it was released in theaters and then would become something people would watch on TV. It had its original release in New York on March 8th, 1967. Then it would get a release in LA on May 30th of that year, and then a nationwide release on July 26th of 1967. It didn't seem to get a lot of attention. I did find some reviews of it that thought it was pretty decent, but it didn't seem to play big at the time. I did find that afterwards, for years, it would be shown in theaters as part of matinees, especially around Halloween. I was finding it in 68, 69, 70, even 1971 being shown in movies still. 
So it had a very successful run in theaters for years, which is something that would happen at the time, especially for family-friendly or kids' entertainment. In 1968, for example, you could have seen Mad Monster Party for 75 cents during matinees, and then you could have went and saw The Parent Trap, maybe 2001 A Space Odyssey, or Cool Hand Luke. I'm looking at a old newspaper, and I like the detail they would put in. So, for example, The Boston Strangler was playing in theaters at the time. And, of course, no one under 16 would be admitted. But I have to tell you, it's the second big week for the Boston Strangler. And then for 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's the last four days. And, of course, good seats available. What an interesting time to go to movies. I've read a couple of reviews from its initial release. And they're generally positive, although light. Nowadays, there's not a ton of reviews online of the film. But all of them are generally on the positive side. It is not a special that's beloved, but I think that's because many people haven't seen it. And I think most people who do find it quite charming. While the film would get broadcast around Halloween time every year, it has been available on home video for years, starting with VHS. And maybe part of the problem with those early copies, and even the one they showed on TV, were that they were sort of poor, made from 16mm releases. The original film and its negative were damaged years ago. And so anything that came off of it didn't look great. But then eventually Sony Pictures found a 35mm print of it in perfect condition and had it digitally remastered. And that would be put into the DVD release. And then after that, anything you saw on TV related to this would be from that version. They would release it on DVD and then do a special edition release, which is great because it has interviews so you could learn a lot about the film. It has Arthur Rankin and Maury Laws. And in 2012, the film was released in Blu-ray. So if you're an HD fan, want to see it in all its remastered, detailed glory, you might want to check out the Blu-ray release. Now, if you are shocked that this is stop motion and not traditional animation, you might be confusing this with the 1972 animated comedy Mad 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 Monsters, which used traditional animation. It was also Rankin-Bass. It was released in September of 72 as an episode of the ABC Saturday Superstar movie. It is related in that it has characters from Mad Monster Party in it, but it is not the same film. It is very different in many ways. I don't think it's as well put together or produced, although I do find it fun to watch as well. Just so you know, they are very different things. If you haven't seen one and you've seen the other, two of these exist and you should watch both of them. While they never released a soundtrack for Mad Monster Party, Dell Movie Classics released the Mad Monster Party comic in September of 67. It's a 36-page color comic, kind of collectible now. You'll recognize that it has stills from the film on the cover. People have taken scans and posted them online, so, so if you haven't been able to find a copy for yourself, you could always go online and check it out. It's a pretty cute comic. I like Mad Monster Party for a lot of reasons. It's fun, it's moody. It's got a great monster and Halloween theme. I like to talk about it with people because not everyone has seen it. It's not one of those things that everyone knows about. And so if I get the opportunity to share it, which I'm doing right now, I do. Because I want people to see and enjoy this work. It's very much a product of the 60s. And you can see sort of 60s movie influences in it. Things that you didn't see in other Rankin-Bass specials because they were made for kids and for TV. And this was 
made for the big screen and they wanted a wider appeal to it. So if you're looking for something to watch this Halloween, something fun and not exactly spooky, why not check out Mad Monster Party? You'll be glad you did. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter. He's at peachypixel8. That's the word peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. If you want to support the Retroist, there are two ways you can do that. One is just giving the show a very positive review wherever you downloaded it. It really helps people find the show. The other is via Patreon. You can... Check out the Retroist Patreon at patreon.com slash retroist. If you join the Patreon, you get access to the Retroist Discord, bonus tracks related to shows I've already released, and bonus episodes that are only for supporter members. Thanks to everyone who's already joined Patreon, and I hope to see other people join soon. It's a lot of fun. Thanks everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend and a happy Halloween. Nobody's perfect. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.